Fact Gardening. On ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. With John Lamb and Lee Radford this Saturday because the lovely Deb tribe is on holidays. Hoping you're having a, a, a lovely start to a couple of weeks off, Deb. But first up, it's my favourite time of the uh, the month, John Lamb, because we get to talk about the longer range forecast. Yes, Darren Ray is our independent climatologist here in South Australia. Incredible uh, ability to be able to interpret the many, many kind of systems that are, are working out there. And uh, I can recall that uh, this time last month, uh, Darren said... It'll be dry in the first half and then it'll be wet in the second half and don't be surprised if it turns around pretty quickly. And halfway during the month when we'd only had six millimetres of rain... It was like clockwork almost, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, but I was thinking to myself, oh, Darren's got it wrong this time. Well, I was for a while too, John, but and, boy, he was right. Oh, absolutely. So good morning to you, Darren Ray, and well done for last month. Yeah, thanks, John. Um, yeah, no, hello there. Hi, Lee, and to all the listeners. Good yeah. to hear you again, yeah. Darren. So let's see where it's going to happen in the next month and uh, and uh, the months ahead, Darren. And I suppose uh, the news this week was from the Bureau of Meteorology that La Nina in the Pacific Ocean had formed finally after so much trumpeting and saying it's coming, it's coming. But also in the Indian Ocean, there's a diapole and that's gone negative uh, having sort of fluctuated from one extreme to the other. And those two systems have got the potential to give us above-average rainfall. Would you care to comment on that little scenario? Yeah, thanks. Thanks, John. Um, yeah, it's, it certainly has been an interesting week. Um, the indicators for the, for the linear event have, have, have really strengthened over the last few weeks. And, yeah, we, we reached the reached the threshold. Uh, we saw the threshold being reached in the Pacific um, uh, just last week, so it's been declared. And um, so basically basically with La Nina events, you get cool water in the central and eastern Pacific and it gets warm around Australia and um, yeah, off, off the Coral Sea and around northern Australia. And that's, that's, been the little, that's been the case for a little while, but really that combination of what's going in the ocean locking into the atmosphere um, and connecting up together and kicking off into an event... A full-blown La Nina event like this um, really strengthens the whole process. So we've had those warm ocean temperatures for a little while around northern Australia, but this is really going to re- reinforce things through the next um, you know, nine months or so. So La Nina events typically start around this time of year, August, September, and then they go through till uh, April or May the following year. But their peak peak influence is is through spring, but particularly in December as, and in December as well. So, La, yeah. Yeah. La, La Ninas don't come along uh, uh, too often. How does this La Nina shape up with previous La Ninas? Um, well, we'd really probably have to look back to 2010, late 2010 into 2011, or late 2011 into 2012. So, probably late 2011 into 2012 is probably it's the last one we had, and this one's probably the one before. One the year before was very strong, and this one's probably more like the 2011 into 2012 Lamina. So, um, yep, and certainly um, that the key thing is those ocean temperatures around northern Australia are, are going to stay very warm through um, 
through the next you know, nine months, throughout to April, April next year, next year, but peak influence through the next sort of four or five, to, through to the end of this year. And La Nina sometimes have a main effect down the eastern coast and not so on South Australia. Uh, considering the strength of this one, are we going to be affected by that La Nina to very much extent? Yeah, they certainly do impact, um, La Nina's do impact the pastoral regions of South Australia a bit more and, and more so the eastern districts of the state. So the eastern half of, of South Australia tends to get a bit more out of it. It does still impact the, re- the other half of the state, but just not quite as strongly. So, um, um, yeah, that's and that's, what, that's, that's very much what, what I'm seeing in the outlooks. And I, I guess one of the other things, too, to keep in mind is uh, we're seeing the atmospheric response quite well um, as well. So what that means is the atmosphere is rising out more than usual over over northern Australia. And that's reflected in for those, for the, um, there's probably more, probably far, if any farmers are listening that who who monitor the Sun Oscillation Index or SOI, that's an indicator of what's going on with the atmosphere and that's rising out more. So we're seeing more quite strongly positive Southern Oscillation Index values. So that's another indicator as well. So we're seeing, seeing all the background conditions, so warm oceans, um, you mentioned the Indian Ocean, John. We've also got the warm ocean temperatures to northwest of Australia, which is typical of a negative IOD um, event. And uh, the Indian Ocean dipole is a bit different because it's a bit shorter, so it's more of a um, more of a sort of July through to November thing. And that's what we're seeing this year as well. With that, those warm ocean temperatures are uh, warm on average at the moment, with a typical negative indiation dugout pattern. They do look, do look like they're weakening a little bit as we go through through into December and then through summer, um, as as is pretty typical for negative IOD indiation dipole influence. So, yeah, so we've got everything set up there in the background conditions. What we're looking for, really, the key thing to watch is those pulses of tropical activity that, that come across um, on, on a sort of four- to six-week time frame and, and push that moisture that's coming off those oceans into the atmosphere and push that down over us in, in, in for, for rainfall events. Darren, Lee's dying to ask you a question. <laughs> I'm chafing at the bit here, Darren. I, I want to ask you a question on behalf of all of my cropping farming mates across uh, South Australia because, of course, we always talk about the, the, the spring rain being mm. the money rain and your forecast last month was just spot on because it really kind of saved um, what was looking like a dire situation for quite a few grain farmers out there with rainfall just in the nick of time. But from what you're saying this morning, I'm, I'm kind of wondering, having saved their bacon in September, um, what's it going to be like for harvest in November and December? Should they be a bit nervous now? Yeah, you, you, you touched on a really yeah. That's 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 one of the really really key things. Um, yeah, it, yeah, it's it's going to be wetter, um, and uh, there's 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 a lot of there's a lot going on over the next few months. Uh, you know, farming wise, so we got you know we got hay producers harvesting, and then we got we got, we got the grain harvesters, and then we got the cherry growers, for instance, Adelaide Hills who don't want rain from through November December. Yeah, you know, we've got to have our trees for Christmas. Um, so the key, so the key thing is when do those when are those tropical events coming? And so we've got a little bit of a weak signal over the, over the next uh, first half of October in terms of bursts of tropical activity. So we're seeing what I'm seeing is a couple of um, couple of rain events, you know, sort of two major ones. So we've got this got this one tomorrow, um, and then there's another one looks like uh, Sunday week. 
um, a more weakish one, and then another one um, around about the 11th or 12th of... Uh, sorry, another another one midweek next week, and then another one around about the 11th or 12th, so Sunday, week, Sunday, Monday week. That one coming through, the second one in the middle, is that going to be as strong as the one coming through tomorrow? Um, no, it's probably, probably going to be more of five five millimetres or so, I think. Um, five, maybe ten, and then the one next Sunday week is, is probably probably another sort of 20, 20 millimetre or so, wow. 15, 20 millimetre event. Okay, well, we've got three little systems or two uh, two systems in a, a week or one up to the middle of the month. What then in terms and of then, rainfall? And then it, um, then the tropical activity looks like it's going to weaken off. Um, and so the second half of the month, so this is really key to October, um, you know, we're very likely to get, get average rainfall um, possibly a little bit above, um, but that's really going to become, I think, mostly in the first half of the month, uh, maybe and a little bit in the second, but mainly in the first half. In terms and, of temperature, uh, yeah. sorry, in yeah. terms of temperatures, Darren, uh, uh, I suppose the rain is certainly welcome, uh, but cool weather when people are looking to, for warm weather, but not hot weather. How do you see October uh, proceeding in terms of temperature? Yeah, so a, a little bit above average, but um, but it's not not particularly hot. And um, I mean, there, there might be the odd hot day there ahead of a low pressure system coming through, but not not certainly not heatwave weather. And uh, with that extra cloud around and the winds, um, pretty low frost risk through the through the month. Maybe a little bit in the second half, but nothing nothing super strong. Well, let's poke uh, November and December and see what's happening there. Will the rains continue? Um, very much so through November. This is where it does get a bit tricky, Lee. Um, yeah, this, mm. this farmers going to be looking to harvest, and it could That's be right. on the wet side. Um, in the in the modelling, what it's looking like though is um, with that sort of weak activity now coming through. So we're watching things like the Madden Junior Oscillation, which is about a four to six week cycle. And what I'm seeing in the modelling suggesting that we'll see another burst of that come through about on that sort of four four week four roughly four week time frame. So we're looking at um, uh, in the, sometime around about the first week of November is the next sort of um, chance of a big rain event. And that's, that's modelling. There's, there's a pretty pretty reasonable signal of that. And then um, so November is looking pro- probably once again the first half of the month more likely to be wetter um, and similar sort of temperatures, uh, a little bit warmer on daytime temperatures, near average on night, nighttime temperatures, uh, low frost, frost risk, which is typically what you see in linear events. And then um, I'm seeing another signal of another burst of tropical activity in, in the first half of December. So watch out for that sort of rain event. That's where the cherry growers might get a bit nervous, I reckon. Mm. Watching out for that sort of... And a few others. Activity. It may not be a good hay season either, Darren Rave, with yeah. what you're saying. No. No, I mean, you've been saying for quite a number of months now, watch the tropical system. And I think last time I recall you saying, John, all the triggers are there. They're ready to go. All, all the systems are there. They're ready to go. We just need the right trigger. And obviously we've got that. So, uh, so there's November and December. And December, will December be wetter than November? Or is it starting to ease off then? Um, it's, uh, it does look like the, um, for South Australia, the ocean temperatures in the Indian Ocean look like they're starting to cool off a little bit. So that'll, that'll keep things, um, uh, probably similar amounts of rainfall in December, but, and so a little bit above average. And, uh, uh, but it is, um, the influence particularly with South Australia is just starting to ease a little bit. The um, La Nina influence does weaken as we go through January, February, March. So um, in terms of summer, um, what, but what I can say at the moment is we're probably likely to see a wetter first half of summer and, and 
in the, in the second half and temperatures will probably be, be a bit warmer in the second half as well. Let's take a look at soil temperatures very briefly. Uh, last season, a lot of uh, gardeners put in their tomatoes late, probably uh, in November, and then along came December, four day, five days over 40 degrees, and uh, the plants didn't have enough time to develop a decent kind of a root system before they got hit with the hot weather. Uh, so how do you see that? Uh, I mean, it's the tomato should be in the ground at the moment, but a lot of people are holding off, waiting for it to get warmer. But uh, what's the likelihood we'll get hot, hot weather in December uh, to before the plants have re-established or established a decent root system? Yeah, pretty low this year, John. Um, so yeah, it probably it probably is safe to plant. I mean, I'm no expert on this, but um, in, from, from what I've seen with the temperatures, yeah, but it probably is safe to hold off a little if you need to hold off a little bit in terms of your planting um, through to sort of mid, mid possibly late October. Um, but I guess yeah, the other thing with when you're planting out as well is the increased fungal risk um, that's around with these sort of wetter conditions. Right. So you, know, you might might think about plant. Uh, spacing your plants out a little bit more so they can get a bit more airflow through. Um, you don't want don't want mo- uh, you know, mouldy zucchinis and that sort of thing or, or tomatoes. So um, give, give them a little bit more space and sun- and sunshine if you can get it. And um, yeah, so think about keeping a bit more sun and, and air around them when you're planting. Still talking veggies, uh, summer, December. Uh, in, uh, I suppose. Summer, uh, what's the likelihood of heat waves in January, February uh, knocking off the good work that uh, the gardeners have got in spring and early summer? I mean, this is pushing the modelling, the, the accuracy of the modelling a little bit, but the, the, there is a bit of a signal there for, for warmer conditions in January, February. And that's that's pretty typical that you get a milder and wetter first half of summer and then it gets a bit a bit more typical in the second half of summer in, in La Nina summers. In waves or spikes? Oh, it's a bit hard to say, John. This yeah. <laughs> Come on. He's pushing it this morning, Darren, isn't he? <laughs> Listen, I better quit while I'm ahead, I think. And I need to say thank you very much, Darren Ray, for a, a wonderful interpretation of the weather systems. And Lee, I think, put in a plug that later in the program uh, we'll be talking to a very experienced tomato grower. Yes. Just saying, what are you doing? Have you planted? Will you plant? But, Darren, look forward to talking to you this time next month. Uh, pleasure talking to you both and to the listeners out there. Thanks. Thank you, Darren. Fascinating as always. And just a quick text here, Darren, for you uh, in particular. But uh, John, you'll it, this will make you smile too, I'm sure. Uh, the text is very short and sweet. It says, Darren's a bloody legend, mate. And that's from Nugget. So good on you, Nugget. <laughs> I'm sure Darren will be pleased to hear that. Uh, and uh, Jim from uh, Onkaparinga Hills says, uh, so far 20 inches for the year uh, on par with the Adelaide average, uh, says Jim. So there you go. But uh, if you'd like to call in and ask John uh, a question this morning, please feel very welcome to do so. Our number, 1300 222 or you can text us on 046. To our next caller, John from Torrens Park is on the line. John, and uh, good morning to uh, uh, John Lambs. Good morning to you, John from Torrens Park. How are you? Very well. What's your question? Look, my parents have a, a cherry tree that they've probably had for about 25 years, and their approach with it has been rather haphazard. I mean, they've, they've got absolutely no, no idea when to prune how to look after it, and so the the results have been, you know, great some years and and not so great other years. But I was up there the other day, and it looks like it's going well for sort of this time of the year. 
what should we be doing to maximise the results of fruit? Right, this weekend, go and buy yourself some mulching material. Peace straw right. would be ideal, and uh, be prepared to put that on before the end of October. Uh, but before you do that, if you haven't already fertilised, get a good quality organic fertiliser. It's slow and steady, and spread it underneath the canopy of the tree, but you need to just cultivate it gently into the top two centimetres. That's not very much, but get it into the soil, then water it in. Otherwise, it, uh, organic fertiliser on the surface is of no value. So get it into the soil, mulch it, and then uh, water it on a regular basis. And if you do that, say, on a a, a monthly basis, watering the entire root system down to probably about 20, 25 centimetres, you'll find that that will get it back into good heart. And then uh, during summer... um, Maybe look at any new growth. If you get strong new growth going into the centre, chop it off. Some are pruned. But, okay. but, and then you probably won't have to prune it at all. Cherries, once they get old and settle down, you don't have to prune them at all, except if the branch is growing in the wrong direction, such as growing in the centre. OK, great. Good on you, John. Thank you very much for your call. Hope that helps. Now, coming up, uh, your chance to win a Gardening Australia magazine. It's 22 minutes past nine. Weekday mornings from 8.30, David Bevan. Oh, good morning, Mr Bevan. I've had to spend a little bit of time in the last few months at home. I've taken up watching daytime TV. Oh, give that away, Ross. I've come to a conclusion after the ads. Men chase, women leak, all our children need vitamins because they're fussy eaters and we're all constipated. What and does that say about us? And we all need funeral insurance. David Bevan on ABC Radio Adelaide. This is Talkback Gardening on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Great to have your company. Wonderful to be working with John Lamb this Saturday morning. And the calls are coming in, John. one three hundred triple two eight nine one is our number. one three hundred triple two eight nine one. If you're not going away for the long weekend and having um, some time out and about doing something else, whether it be camping or going for a weekend retreat somewhere, maybe you're planning to be in the garden. So now's the perfect time to speak to John Lamb. one three hundred triple two eight nine one. Next to Clarence Gardens, John, Chris is on the line and um, has a question about some passion fruit, I believe. Good morning, Chris. Uh, morning, guys. How are you going? Well. Good, good. Yeah, just got a uh, couple of passion fruit that I planted probably three or four weeks ago. Um, they're getting eaten. All the new leaves are getting eaten. Uh, I've had a look and there's slugs and snails, so I've put some bait down and other bits and pieces, but they still seem to be getting eaten. Just wondering if there's anything else that uh, tends to eat them or not. Just check the backs of the leaves, particularly the tip growth, for a little green caterpillar. And if you poke it, it'll wriggle and drop it to the ground and it it lives for another day. So be prepared to catch it before it falls. But uh, there are a lot of little caterpillars that like new leaves on uh, your passion fruit. And there are a couple of organic sprays. One is Dipel or else there's Success Ultra. Uh, That's not organic, but it's very low toxicity. Um, And uh, just keep up with uh, trapping your your snails and your slugs. Uh, They love passion fruit, 
yeah. and uh, they'll travel quite a, a distance. So you need to sort of clean the rubbish away and yep. uh, put your traps out. Uh, uh, tr try trapping them, you know, as well as, okay. as baiting them. Uh, yep. But reduce the number, that should fix it, and the diapel or success should fix any caterpillars. Okay, and just the... Uh, so the, the leaves that have been eaten, do I need to take them off or just leave them on? Or? Oh, just leave them there. Uh, yep. The leaves are critical in terms of root growth. The more yep. leaves you, you've got, the better. And so mulching, make sure you've got the ground all nicely and mulched and uh, give yep. it a liquid organic fertiliser and, yep. and just keep it growing. But leave the leaves on and, and uh, encourage the new ones and let's hope they don't get eaten as well. OK, great. Thank you. Good on you, Chris. And earwigs, are they... A factor, John? Yeah, there we're going to have a bonzer of a season for earwigs. <laughs> I that might be the case. <laughs> yeah, but um, you'll find that slugs and snails take large slices out in, in, in little curved sections from the outer leaf. You'll yes. find that the caterpillars, the small ones, will start in the, uh, taking the leaf, uh, the tops of the leaves or the skin of the leaf out uh, when they're small, and as they get bigger, they'll start munching around the edges as well. But yes. uh, your earwigs are more on the softer kind of material. Materials yeah. and yeah. the tips, tip growth they like, uh, and fruits and things like that are that are soft. One three hundred triple two eight nine one is our number. One three hundred triple two eight nine one. If you'd like to ask John Lamb a, a question, uh, John, I'm just going to very quickly mention a text here. It's actually a really long text, so I'm not going to read it, but I, it, it stands out to me because um, this person is listening to talk about gardening this morning from Mornington in Victoria. So there you go. You Good. are your reach is far and wide. John Good Lamb. morning, and I know Mornington <laughs> well. My mum and dad came from Mornington. It's a lovely part of the world. <laughs> it is. Lovely, absolutely. Fantastic. Well, let's go on with our callers. Eva from uh, lovely Kapunda is on the line. Hello, Eva. How are you? Hello, guys. Um, question, uh, the ubiquitous lemon question. Um, I have a little lemon in a very small pot and is now the right time to repot it because it's looking very sad and it, it's trying to live... Well, and I, it's not living very well in the size sure, of the pot it's in now. Right, we were talking about uh, that particular kind of a problem very early in the program. Yeah, um, I'm sorry, so I, I've only just come on. The quick answer is don't do it yet. I think the ground is still just a little bit warm, uh, uh, cool, and conditions no, are no, no, a little no. bit cool. No, 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 I don't want to put it in the ground. No, I right. want to just repot it. Same thing applies, yeah. Oh, okay, I'd wait right. until at least the end of October, early November. And when you do, uh, take it out of its pot and have a look at the root system. And if you see the bottom of the root system is all black and uh, got little tips on it, you've got a root disease, probably Rhizoctonia, uh, but there are lots of other root diseases. Just look at the colour. If, if the bottom of the root ball is soggy, you've got a drainage problem. Um, and it, when you're moving into a bigger container, how big is the plant? Um, not very big at all. It would only be, <laughs> not I don't very know. Big. A, a, you know, I'm sorry. About, oh, I'm not good at metrics, about a foot and a half. A big foot and a half, right. Well, you need to have a container that's probably about at least 20 centimetres across. Right. But no bigger than 30 centimetres, otherwise it'll get lost. And okay. if you put it into a decent-sized container, again, check it's got lots of holes. If it hasn't, if it's just got one hole down the bottom of your lovely little ornamental container, uh, then you need to get uh, uh, the drill or get somebody with a drill and draw more hole, drill more holes in the base. And uh, I think uh, 
uh, as we move in and more people are putting plants in containers, these lovely uh, uh, lightweight uh, containers that cost an arm and a leg, but they've got one mingy little hole in the centre. And I can see now that I'm going to be inundated with what's wrong with my plant and it'll be, it's got a drainage problem, sir or madam. So yes. get in before we get the problem, please. Eva, hope uh, that helps. Thank you very much for your call. Uh, John, I was just put the glasses on a second ago. You saw me do it and leaning over at the screen because there's a photo of a Amanda Intree and it's uh, Di from Poochera over on the far west coast who's a very regular listener, she says. Loves the show. Thank you very much, uh, Di. Uh, but the pet lambs have got stuck into this mandarin <laughs> oh, no. tree and there's hardly a leaf left on it. There are still plenty of mandies on the tree, but uh, but Di is um, a bit worried about it and she says, uh, do you think it'll survive, John? And is there anything I can do to help it? The best thing you can do is put a fence around your mandy and then... Keep the lambs away. Uh, that's right, yeah. If you can protect the tree, uh, the mandy will survive. In fact, you'll be surprised how quickly it recovers and comes into strong, vigorous growth. You may, uh, once you've got uh, that new growth and it's probably 10 centimetres long and it's all looking a little bit uh, uh, crow's nesty, thin out some of the branches so you get your framework and concentrate on getting uh, four or five or six main frame branches and, and uh, they become the leaders and anything else is, is subservient uh, to that. And so you keep on chopping the, the side laterals back, just take the tips out so uh, the, the leaders get strong and long. And uh, I would suggest that probably by the end of the season, the tree's almost back to normal. Well, well, there you go, Di. You, but, might, you might have got out of jail with that one, but it was a very, very sad-looking photograph of this uh, mandarin yeah, tree. Yeah, the, the message John, there is sure. that you can chop back your citrus extremely hard. You can, okay. uh, if you wanted to, you could cut, you got your main trunk and your four or five branches. You could cut it back to sort of ten or fifteen centimeters on those main branches and stand back because it, it'll respond rapidly. Citrus loving chopped back. Right, so it's great for a chainsaw pruner like me, John. Let's go on with the calls. Let's go to Morfitt Vale now. Scott's on the line. Good morning to you, Scott. Uh, hello, it's Morfittville. Oh, Morfittville, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, hi, John. Uh, I've got. A bit of a weed problem in my garden. This some kind of onion weed has has taken hold, and I try to have an organic garden, but I'm going to have to deal with this. What's the state of the art with them? Like, I need a brush or a sponge applicator. I don't want to spray it because there's other plants. Right. Okay. So. Uh are you in full sun? Oh, very much so, yeah. Okay. You could try solarising. What I would be suggesting is, uh, if you're organic, you mightn't like the suggestion, but I'd be suggesting that uh, uh, you let the uh, onion weed get up to about 10 or 15 centimetres in length and then spray it or wipe it with glyphosate. Now, yep. mix up your glyphosate and get a little bit... Uh, uh, it, it, you've got a serious problem, so take it seriously. Go to a garden mm -hmm. centre and get a, a, a soil wetter, a, a, sort of, a, a, plant, a, a chemical wetter, a wetting agent. OK. Um, you could use a detergent or one of the oils, but get uh, 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 chemicals that they're, they're called penetrants, and, and they also are spreaders. So when you uh, wipe the 
nut grass, normally the, uh, the chemical just runs off it. But with a, the extra little chemical, uh, the it spreader, it'll the... get into the plant and bile it off. And then uh, if you find it regrows by about January, if we're getting nice hot weather, you could solarise it, which means uh, getting the soil moist, uh, putting some black or white uh, clear plastic on it. Oh, and, it's and... only a little tiny spot and it's in between a couple of gerberas. Oh, OK, right. Well, you can't tree. do that. Right. Well, you know, the glyphosate will work. Um, it's not yep. organic. But it is very, very low toxicity. Can I tell you a little story, Lee? May can, I? John, yes. <laughs> last week, Penny oh, I was Woodward. I going to ask you about this. The aspirin. <laughs> the aspirin, yeah. <laughs> uh, last week, uh, uh, Penny Woodward was our guest, and uh, one of the callers came in and said, Oh, look, I use aspirin and spray it onto the tomatoes. And, and Penny said, Well, there's no technical reason why it should work, but it's interesting. Um, and uh, I had a, a very interesting text from uh, a colleague of mine, uh, Chris Butler who likes to keep me on the straight and narrow in terms of chemicals. And Chris said, oh, did you know, John, that um, aspirin is very toxic? Now, the toxicity is measured in LDs, LDs, which is the lethal, lethal do uh, dose that's needed to kill 50% of the rats that feed on it. Right. Okay, so if you've got an LD of 100, that's very, very toxic. And if you've got an LD of 2,000, that's pretty sort of low toxicity. And he said, John, Aspro has an LD of 200. Wow. That's exactly the same as Rogor. Remember Rogor, Dimethioid? Which was banned, Which wasn't was banned, it, John? completely banned from the home gardener's point of view because it's so toxic. <laughs> so there's aspirin with 200, there's Rogor with 200. I'll leave you to come to your own conclusion as to whether you should spray it uh, yeah. around. And, and okay, sometimes I think, I think people should be sort of more mindful of those kind of things. And uh, Chris also said, John, do you realise that glyphosate has got an LD of about 5,000? 200, which uh, okay. is virtue very, very and, and he said, right now, farmers will be spraying their barley grass with a low dose of, of uh, glyphosate uh, or other chemicals, similar chemicals, and what that does is it stops the barley grass from going to seed. Mm. Brilliant. And then once that's worked, they put in the sheep or the cows and so it's eaters. wonderful food. Yeah, yes. so <laughs> there will be thousands of acres of, of pastures sprayed with glyphosate and uh, the sheep and the cattle will say thank you very much. That is really good to know, John. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to Port Lincoln now, across a couple of the gulfs from here. Jim is on the line and it's a question about roses, I believe, John. Good morning, Jim. Yes, good morning. Uh, I, uh, I, I'm just inquiring because it's probably not the right time, but anyway, uh, somebody's asked me to put a rose in where a old rose has come out, and I believe uh, that that doesn't work particularly well. Well, it, uh, it, I'm just wondering why. What? Okay, uh, diseases. Uh, there are little microbes, fungi and bacteria in the soil, and when you've got a rose there for a long time, uh, it builds up a large quantity of certain kinds of bacterias and, uh, and fungi, little microorganisms, uh, that uh, can have uh, an adverse effect. Now, it doesn't affect a mature rose because there's a balance of goodies and baddies. But when you take out uh, the, the old rose and put in a new rose, it doesn't have immunity, it doesn't have the ability to be able to fight off the fungal or the microbes that are uh, hostile in the soil. And so instead of having a healthy new rose, you have a, a, a rose with a depleted root system. 
And so that's why you do it. And the reason, of course, you're probably aware is you just will need to take away some of the old soil, put it somewhere else in the garden where it's not going to harm anything else in the garden. It only affects the, the roses. Bring in some soil from somewhere else in the garden and put it back on the hole, mix it all up, put some organic matter in there because that's a good thing to do. And away you go again. How big an area or volume of new soil should I put in? Oh, I would suggest that if you take out half a barrow load, maybe, uh, what's that, sort of 20 litres of uh, soil uh, mm. from the mm. planting hole mm. and put in mm. another 20 litres, mm. maybe put in 25 mm. litres, have a nice little ra- raised mound there so you improve the drainage. We we uh, did some once before. This is kind of our bowls club. And, uh, and we pulled out some that were not performing and uh, and we did dig a quite a large area around it this was um, five or six years ago and those have never performed they haven't died but they've never really grown very much so um, I'm just wondering how big a volume we, we probably took out about uh, an area about uh, 700, 700 by 700 deep sort of thing, quite oh, a large... Well, that should have overcome the problem. So your problem is not the uh, fungal diseases or the, uh, the microbes, uh, the adverse microbes won't be the problem of the roses that are not performing. You need to look mm. at another reason. And is it uh, in terms of how, how it's drainage or how the root system is established or not established? Mm. Are you mulching it, keeping the root systems cool during summer? Yeah. A, a multitude of other issues. And yeah. I don't think we have time to go through all of those at the moment, Jim. Hope that helps, Jim. Thanks very much for your call from Port Lincoln this morning. A very quick shout-out to uh, a texter this morning, John, who I know well from many years uh, into the past, and that's Laurie Collins from up in the, the mid-north of the state around Crystal Brook. Uh, just sent through a very complimentary text. I won't read it because I'll blush, but uh, good to, good to uh, hear from you, Laurie. Thank you very much for the text. You're listening to Talk Back Gardening this Saturday morning with Lee Radford and John Lamb. It's 22 to 10. Yours to stream on ABC iView. Full seasons of premium drama, including The Split. What are you doing? It's called calculated risk. Or lying. Operation Buffalo. You have or have had a spy here. I'd walk away and steer clear of Marilinga for the rest of your lives. And The Accident. It was a gas explosion? There were people inside. What? Kids. <laughs> Full seasons of premium drama. Yours to stream free on ABC iView. This is Talkback Gardening on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Great to have your company this holiday October long weekend. Thank you to all of our callers. We've got a board full of them at the moment, John, but we've got to talk tomatoes first. So over to you, sir. To plant or not to plant? That indeed is the question, sir, in terms of tomatoes. Normally... Uh, gardeners wait until the soil temperature is up around about 16 degrees uh, and that will stimulate your plant into nice, strong, vigorous growth. Two weeks ago, uh, the topsoil shot up to 18 degrees and I thought, bottler, we're going to have an early season. But then uh, last week we had cool weather and it got down to 13 and 14 degrees. Mm. After yesterday and probably today's temperatures, it might be back over 16 degrees and then we're going to have about 10 days of relatively mild weather. So, to plant or not to plant is the issue. That is the dilemma. <laughs> and uh, I thought I will talk to somebody who I often talk to for tomato advice, uh, Wayne Lisebit. Good morning to you, Wayne. 
Yeah, morning, John. Now, I know you've got uh, um, injuries that are preventing you from planting your tomatoes, but uh, I know you like planting tomatoes, so have you planted your tomatoes? No, I haven't planted my tomatoes, um, but at the moment the plan is probably for sometime in the next fortnight. Uh, I think we learned last year that if you leave it too late and we get a hot spill, uh, the tomatoes don't like it. Yes, and I thank you for that because you raised that with me uh, and saying, John, uh, because you talk to a lot of your mates who grow tomatoes and, and discuss the situation, and you said, John, it's interesting, those that planted late uh, have had uh, poor seasons. And I went back to the surveys I've carried out over the last two seasons, and it confirms late planting uh, for the last two years. But then it was because... Uh, December was very, very, very hot in both the last two years. Um, now, you've just heard probably Darren Ray suggest, uh, <laughs> uh, Wayne, that uh, we may not get a very hot December. So would that alter? Uh, what advice would you give to gardeners that haven't put in their tomatoes? Well, if they haven't put them in, I mean, well, one, I hope they've got the holes ready for them to go in. Uh, you know, they've done some preparation. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think any time in the next fortnight, I'm, I, I'm still, after the last three or four years, I'm still leaning towards being in the middle rather than waiting waiting until everything, you think everything's going to be right, because yes. invariably it's not. <laughs> no, no, and the importance of getting a good, vigorous root system while yeah. the plants have got good conditions. So yep. we then come back to that preparation. You said dig a hole, but you do more than dig a hole. What well, preparation yeah. do you do before you get your tomatoes growing? Well, I dig a hole, I put compost in, uh, turn it down there, then I cover it with last year's mulch to let it... And that, of course, by doing that, keeps, uh, uh, it keeps probably the soil a bit warmer anyway although you'd probably need an expert on that. But then, you know, put, make sure you've got your fertiliser and all the other stuff in probably at least two to three weeks before you plant to give it a chance to break down and everything get to neutral. And in terms of tomato varieties, there's such a big variety out there. Uh, what will Wayne be planting? Well, it's very confusing, but this year uh, I'm actually going to rely on my grandson who goes to Herbray and as a, a part of their course they uh, uh, have grown tomatoes from seed uh, and and capsicum and what else they don't... Cucumbers, uh, plants, I think. Oh, yes, OK. Right so us. I'm going to go to the Herbray Farm Barn Market and buy my... Well, well, get them from the school, but get them from the school and get get his as part of their fundraising efforts. Good thinking. When's that? So the Herbray Market... Oh, it's on today, actually. It's oh. on the first Saturday of the month at the school. So you just and, rock up uh, and you, you, they'll sell you all these little seedlings? Yep, yep. They've got all the seedlings they've grown, yep. That's brilliant. And you can get... They've got, they've got their own wine. They've got uh, honey from all their beehives. Um, and a few other things they do, yep. If yep. you get lucky, you'll get some eggs and chooks. What time? Uh, I think it goes from about half past eight on Saturday mornings. Oh, good old. That's a good tip, Wayne. Look, I'm just very interested to ask briefly, um, what do you think are the tastiest tomatoes to plant? Because, got to say, you know, there are so many unimpressive varieties out there. What do you think are the better tasting ones? Uh, yeah, well, it's funny. I think, you know, the, sometimes they get 
uh, growing to look good rather than taste good, if that makes sense. Uh, but I think homegrown tomatoes, growing in your home, I don't think it matters what variety it is, they're always going to taste good. So, I'm going for black Russian? Uh, well, well, some of that, yeah, they're harder to grow, of course, but your black <laughs> Russian, green zebra, uh, you know, any, any of those different types. Oh, uh, and for Lee, maybe we can go for a couple of cherry tomatoes. And, probably. and yeah, well, cherry, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't think I've grown all sorts of cherries, but I'm going to go back to Tommy Toe, I think, I think that... Tommy at, toe. at the risk of advertising for no, it. <laughs> no, no, that Tommy Toe often sort of comes up, uh, and uh, there are a couple of other ones that are up there at the top, uh, Black Cherry, and uh, uh, Penny Woodward a couple of weeks ago was suggesting maybe uh, uh, Yellow Cherry, just oh, to be yeah, a little well, bit I've different. Oh, yeah, I've Yellow Cherry. Have just, you? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, thank you yeah. for your information this morning. I know, That's all right. <laughs> and I look forward to having a chat and probably a, a little drop of red wine with you in the future. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks, John. Good on you, Maybe more than a little bit. Okay. (laughs) I didn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) I won't ask any questions, John Lamb. I won't ask any questions. Thank you very much, Wayne. Fantastic to hear from you this morning. Let's get back to the callers, John. We've got a few. Uh, Our number two, 1300 Prue is on the uh, line from Highland Valley. Uh, And another fruit tree question, I believe, John. Good morning, Prue. Well, she's inside making... Oh, doesn't sound like fruit at all. No, it's Gavin's, Gavin's speaking. <laughs> Gavin, what's the question? Uh, my Nexon apricot and peach that's dying back on the tips from about 200 mil down. And they're just dying. I'm wondering what's causing that. Uh, could we... A fungal disease. Um, yeah. When we had... Uh, uh, fl- the flowers, the, the buds were opening. There was a bit of showery weather. Can you recall yes. when uh, the, the blossom came out? Was it showery at that time? Yes. Okay, I think you've got uh, uh, one of the fungal diseases. They've got uh, brown rot and uh, there's the on, tom- on uh, apricots you'll get freckle and shot hole and they're all yep. a related fungus. And so the damage has been done. Uh, it would have... Uh, the, the fungus would have taken hold as the buds opened up and got in and uh, uh, set up uh, the, the problem so that the tree is actually suffering from uh, uh, that dieback or tip dieback. Um, I would think the best thing you can do is make sure if you haven't already fertilised, you give the tree and, and probably give it uh, uh, a good quality organic fertiliser, water that in, or maybe I'll be using a liquid one. Some of the liquid fertilisers, uh, they've got organic materials in them, but they've also been spiked a little bit with soft nitrogen type uh, uh, materials. And so I would be just doing that so that what you're trying to do is stimulate new tip growth. And I think that the effect that you've got, you'll see that'll disappear, new growth will appear, and then that shouldn't be affected by the disease, unless, of course, we get (laughs) constant showery weather. And so putting on uh, a fungicide, uh, if you're really serious, uh, at the earliest opportunity, I'd be putting on a liquid copper, because it sticks on better than the other forms of copper, and uh, just giving it some protection like that. And uh, particularly when you're getting... The, 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 you'll find that uh, there'll be latent buds and, and yep. that they've got to open up and yep. uh, the fungus will get into those buds as they're starting to open up. So put the fungicide on before they come into new growth. 
say just copper because I, I did I did did put copper on 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 all, all of them as the actual buds were opening so. Uh, yeah, so it, a lot depends on the conditions at the time, uh, yeah. and sometimes uh, just one spray is not enough. And uh, if you've got uh, uh, the fungus is there, and you've got cool conditions after uh, the buds open, uh, the new growth can't grow away from the fungus and it gets plastered. Whereas if you get warm so weather copper after, do, yeah, okay. Copper do help? Copper. Copper. No, no, no. That's an insecticide. Yep, well, of no value. You, you don't have an insect problem. So leave the confidor in the cupboard. Good on you, Gavin. Thanks for the call and say good day to Prue from uh, John and I. Uh, you're listening to Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Lee Radford this Saturday morning. Uh, we've got an ABC Gardening Australia magazine to give away to our 10th caller and we're getting very close. So call now, one three hundred triple two eight nine one one three hundred triple two eight nine one, if you're keen to get a ABC Gardening Australia magazine. Let's go to Marion now. Julie is on the line, John, uh, and good morning to you, Julie. Good morning. What's your question? My problem is when to gr- start growing capsicums. End of October. Not now. I've got a hot house. Would that help? Yes, it would help quite a lot. And I would suggest that uh, if you wanted to, if you've got a nice sunny position, yes, um, then I would suggest, and same as uh, with people wanting to plant tomatoes, if you've got a nice sun-drenched position, sun all day... It's then, very uh, sunny. Right, OK. Well, I would be putting them in. But um, bear in mind we're going to get some mild weather... If you've got some little lemonade bottles, you know, one litre lemonade bottles, take the top out and take the bottom off and put the little uh, bottle over your little seedlings. And if you do that, you can have a row of little bottles or cordial bottles or something like that. It looks strange, but you'll be surprised at how effective that is at warming up the soil, warming up the root system. And uh, then if we do hit a a day when the temperature is going to get over 30 degrees, you might want to take the bottles off on a hot day, but put them back if we're going to get some more cool. And just for a couple of weeks, you'll find that that can make a tremendous difference to getting your tomatoes and cucumbers and zucchinis, your seedlings, anybody else that's listening at the moment, uh, uh, grab all the empty bottles, raid raid your your rubbish bin and (laughs) recycle those uh, plastic uh, bottles and make use of them. Yes, I have. I'm growing coriander, I'm growing um, beans, and uh, it's beautiful. It's already quite high, and I soon have to put it in pots and take it out. Oh, it sounds like you're really enjoying your garden there, Joe. I'm a new gardener as well. Well, that's nice. Even and better. The, the nice thing is it looks like you're set for success, and <laughs> uh, nothing breeds like success like success. Thank you for the call, Julie. Uh, John, the, the phone board has been lit up like a Christmas tree. People have been going berserk trying to get a hold of an ABC Gardening Australia <laughs> magazine. And I'm pleased to tell you that... Mary from Pasadena is the successful caller this morning, so no more calls on the gardening <laughs> magazine. It's gone. Mary's got it, so there you go. Just quickly, John, with, with I was just reflecting a little bit, listening to some of these calls this morning and off the back of Darren Ray. Um, we haven't really had a lot of spring rain for uh, some time. We've had some really harsh springs. How good is a wet spring going to be for our garden trees and some of the perennial plants that have really had some tough years? I think the season is set for an excellent, probably outstanding season for good gardeners. And I'll put the good in quotes because uh, the Achilles heel will be the fungal spots and rots. 
And so if you're going to uh, uh, put uh, plants in or if you've got a garden that has stressed in the past, uh, now is the time to really look after it. There'll be moisture in the topsoil, so that means if you put on an organic fertiliser, so treat them, give them a little treat. Go and buy a, you know, a litre container of fish uh, material or blood and bone material, yep. and, and one of the organic fertilisers. There's lots of them out there, and that's a root stimulant, and that will also uh, help the health of the soil. Get the health of your soil right, and the health of the soil will be responded, uh, be reflected in, in the health of your tree. So uh, get the soil right, uh, nutrients, organic slow-release uh, uh, nutrition, uh, then mulching. Even though it's going to be wet, you'll find that mulching will make a very significant difference, again, to the root growth that's in the soil. Mm. And uh, I think if you do those two things, they're probably the, the most important things to get a tree that's been stressed in the part, mm. getting it back into uh, uh, good condition. There's no need to spray the foliage. Work on the roots. The roots will look after the plant if you look after it. Great advice, John, and a great opportunity to nurse some of uh, those trees that have been suffering in recent years back to, to full health with the benefit of all of this forecast rainfall. Let's keep going with our callers. Uh, Jan is on the line from Kensington, and uh, she's um, uh, she's got a question here which... Uh, actually, I'll let her ask it. Hello, Jan. Good morning. <laughs> good morning. Uh, yes, uh, last week you mentioned the banana brew for tomatoes to give them uh, potassium. So I have about 20 skins, uh, about to put them in the bucket. Question, is there a particular ratio uh, as no. regards... No, 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 no. The amount the of potassium. Listen, the amount of potassium in a banana skin is, is minute. Um, if you want to give your plants a kick along with potassium, uh, potassium sulfate, a half a teaspoon in uh, uh, two or three litres of water and water that in will give you probably ten times the effect. But uh, the concept of using bananas is, is, is folklore. It, it works. It's, it's organic. So there's good reasons for doing it. And we come back to your situation. Uh, put as many banana skins in there, mix them up, leave them for a couple of weeks to sort of mould away and then strain the material and then you could water it into the root system of your plants. Don't worry about using it as a foliar. Use it as a root stimulant. And it's not only a root stimulant, it'll also stimulate the little microbes in the soil. So good reasons for doing it. But if you wanted to give uh, your plants a potash uh, kick, then there are quicker ways and more effective ways of doing it. But then that's not always the, what the aim is. Thank you, Jan. Thank you for your call this morning. A comment uh, from Don. Uh, John, that I will mention to you just very briefly. Don's comment, uh, he's hung potato weed in a peach tree to stop leaf curl, and it's worked. I didn't even know that was a thing. He put potato weed. <laughs> in yeah, apparently. The, okay. Um, uh, you, uh, that's interesting. There are, uh, there's a lot of folklore out there. And uh, there was a different weeds uh, that were being recommended last time. And Penny Woodward has suggested that uh, she's an authority on herbs and, and yes. that, that kind of thing. She said, yeah, for some, she doesn't know why, but she said it works. How about that? Yeah. The things that you learn love, in this program. I mean, there's a student out there who'd like to do a little PhD thesis <laughs> on, <laughs> on the control, uh, how, how weeds, hanging weeds in trees can actually uh, stop a fungus. Now, there's a good idea. Last caller this morning, and it'll have to be a quickie because we're running out of time rapidly. Sue's on the line from Port Lincoln. Good morning to you, Sue. What's your question for John? 
Uh, yes, good morning, Lee. Lovely to hear you. I used to listen to you on the Country Act. Um, I've got a, a mandarin tree, which is a Japanese seedless, and it's about a, only about a metre and a half high. It's been fantastic. I think I've got 80 fruit off it uh, this last season, the size of oranges. Now, I have a lot of uh, sweet peas that self-seed in the garden, and it's surrounded by sweet peas. Shall I leave them there or shall I pull them out? The sweet peas or the mandy? No, 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 the Mandy. I'm not pulling the Mandy out. No, the fabulous Mandy. No, no. Look, uh, no, enjoy your sweet peas. peas. They, they don't have a very aggressive root system. It's up near the surface, and you'll find that once we do, if we do get some hot weather, uh, they'll die down pretty quickly. So enjoy your, your sweet peas, uh, and then uh, when you remove them, uh, just chop them off at ground level. The roots of the sweet peas will actually have a little bit of nitrogen in them, and they'll uh, benefit uh, the root system of, of your tree anyway. But the important thing is leave them there. Uh, once they've died down, uh, chop them back uh, and then make sure that your the root system of your tree is well and truly mulched. Good on you, Sue. Thank you very much for your call from Port Lincoln. And that's pretty much it, John Lamb. It's-